episode 54 of the Get Around Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Summers, alongside me, as always, James Cook, and he's over here working on his Barry White impersonation, and Jake Atnip, who is working on his haunted movie sounds. I haven't seen the movie that he's referencing, so I don't know if that's a good impression or not. It's probably terrible. It's not very scary. I'm not scared. It's not dark in here. That's why. Oh, well, let's not do and that. And Jason either. Voorhees isn't coming after you. No wonder why you're not scared. Yeah, you just haven't, like, just made out with somebody because that was always the kiss of death. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. Well, once once you get a little sexual, then it turns into uh, death death by Jason. Death by Machete would be the way to go. But scary movies, yeah. Halloween, yeah. I did want to go see the, the new Halloween movie this past weekend with Brendan Queeley, our former host, and Seven and Four's Harrison Beebe, but alas, I was stuck in the office undergoing my own terrors of having to work the weekend. And I had a pretty terrifying Saturday down in East Lansing. I made the last second You trip. did. We both had pretty awful Saturdays. Yeah. We did. Between yeah. your, your Spartans and my Brewers, it was... Uh, I would have just rather been killed by Jason, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I know you were excited for Game 7, but... I was, Well, and then especially the way that it starts with a home run and, and the way they played in Game 6, I was like, all right, rolling, let's home go. Home by the MVP. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, that didn't work out. But anyway. But Ohio, terrifying but Ohio State got it just taken to the woodshed by Purdue. By so Purdue. That, yeah, by Purdue. Everybody Perdue. loves it. Yeah. Yes, Purdue. So, so that just, you know, had to heal some wounds, right? It just I mean, made not for me. me. No, just, not at all. You don't hate Ohio feel... State? Oh, I hate Ohio State, but I, I, there's no, there's no like positive on a day like that. It doesn't matter who else wins or loses. You just that's a bad day. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come over to your yard, Jake, and tear it up. Oh yeah, please okay. do it. Yeah. 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 You want, you want to get something started? Let's go. <laughs> please, R- rip up my. I got, I got a rug at like the front door. Come on, just bring some muddy shoes and like rub them on there. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Well, we hope that all of you, our wonderful Audible viewers, had a better Saturday and weekend in general than the rest of us. We were busy. James was working as well on Saturday. He was on the road and Sunday trying to cram eight hours worth of work into 30 minutes that he had left. Yeah, how do I? I've I've drawn all of the freeze your ass off assignments, I think, the last two weeks, (laughs) which has resulted in this. And today's a beautiful day outside. Today would be a great day to be out. And Jake, you're gonna be headed to volleyball later, but that's not even outside. Inside. So well, I'll get to ride with the windows down, and you know, have a nice, cl- beautiful cruise up past Lake Leelanau and check out the views. True. So, why? Not? I mean, anytime you get out of the office is good. I, I've been to a couple of cold games recently, but I think I dodged a bullet last Friday. I've actually I pulled the exact opposite, with the exception of that one game. Every single time that I've had to be in the office, you two got sent out to some like monsoon conditions. Yeah, it was pretty awful in Benzie there for a while. In the second half, it, I mean, it was still cold, but at least the the rain wasn't blowing horizontally from left to right on your radio dial, if you will. But yeah, I I, I took shelter after the first quarter for sure. When I was we were looking at the pictures, a TC West soccer game that was a slush fest. You know, I saw some pictures that our photographer uh, Jan Michael. It looked Stone, awesome. Yeah, that's but, what I mean. It looked, it looked like snow at least. Snow is okay. It, was, it looked like slush. It wasn't just all snow. It looked like it was just wet. But either way, I mean, all day Friday, all day Saturday, there was just 
Those were great wild. photos, though, man. Yeah, they yeah. were. If, if you haven't, go and check those photos out. Facebook.com slash TCRE Sports. Uh, our cover photo is what I thought was the best shot that our photographer, Jan Michael Stump, took on Saturday at Traverse City West, but I believe there's a full gallery on RecordEagle.com as well that you can check out. Fortunately for the Titans, their season came to an end in that game, but it was uh, ideal photo weather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> if you're looking for a good op, a good photo op, mine Shan is may beg to differ. He texted me during the game and wasn't all that happy. <laughs> Especially because one of us wasn't there. He's just like, I'm just here to take pictures of this right now. That, and he had to miss part of the Michigan State game. Oh, yeah. I would be mad, too. I think he ended up being okay with it by the end, I'm sure. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I didn't get to watch the whole game either because of the rain, but hey. But our weekend aside, we are super excited to be back <laughs> in the Get Around Podcast studio this week because it is the postseason for football. This will serve as our postseason preview show for the Gridiron, and we've got 15 matchups to detail in one way or another. We're not necessarily going to go in-depth on every single one of them, but we will mention them all at the very least. Talk a little bit about that. I mentioned James was on the road Saturday. His less-than-ideal conditions being the golf course at Bedford Valley in Battle Creek, where he was covering Traverse City West Girls Golf, who as a team came up short of winning their third state championship in four years. But Annika D. did not. She pretty much rolled the field, looked like she was golfing on beneath sunny skies on an 80-degree day somewhere because she just absolutely dominated everyone else in Division One. If she's not named Miss Golf for the third time in her career, I think that as, as, I think as her coach Carl Gagnon yeah. put it, that would be a shame. A travesty. I a think travesty. Word okay, yeah, travesty. better word. But travesty is much stronger, <laughs> much stronger word than shame. Tennis finals also wrapped up on Saturday. Traverse City St. Francis had a program best finish at the Division Four finals. Traverse City Central was represented, Traverse City West as well. We'll get into all those state championship results after our interview later in this episode. We're going to get kicked off with football. We're going to detail these pre-district games. We've got Benzie Central's Tom Ross and Joe Wade. They're going to join us in studio for a conversation, the Huskies qualified for the playoffs for the first time since 2011. And this, of course, just two years after completely shutting down the program for a season because of player safety concerns. And, you know, this is Jason Cott's fifth season leading the Huskies. The Huskies have now won three times as many games this year as they did in his first four. So big kudos to everybody in Benzie who's helped turn that program around because it's definitely been a group effort. All right, we're going to get things started with the eight-player divisions. Of course, there are now two brackets in eight-player football. In Division Two, we've got two matchups. We've got six and three Marion visiting seven and two Onekama. The Portagers didn't win their conference, but their two losses against Wyoming Triunity Christian and Sutton's Bay, both single possession ball games that came right down to the wire. I still think Onekama is probably one of the best eight-man teams in the state. And being in Division Two, sitting at seven and two, maybe they get overlooked a little bit. You know, I I talked about how I have voted for them uh, in polls this year as far as being a top five eight-man team. And you know, that second loss, I I couldn't really vote them a top five team anymore. But I think they can still do the damage of a top five team. 
and I think that Division II bracket better be on the lookout. The second A-player Division II game is Brethren, 6-3 and three at Mount Pleasant Sacred Heart, 7-2. and two. James, you were out to Brethren's camp when the season kicked off, and maybe one thing that stuck out about that group is they may be the biggest eight-man team you've ever seen in terms of size. Mm-hmm. Is that something that the rest of this bracket needs to be on the lookout for now that they're in the postseason despite three losses? I think it's something you definitely have to game plan for. Um, you know, that's a, a Saturday 4 o'clock game now. Um, because I'm imagining because they're going to play it on Mount Pleasant's field, and Mount Pleasant also made the playoffs, so they probably took Friday night. Um, but uh, you know they they got a, a Sacred Heart team at seven and two, and uh, you know a perennial team that makes the playoffs and usually wins a game or two in the playoffs. Um, so they're going to be facing a, a, a battle tested team. But yeah, I mean that size that you have on the line there with that Brethren has is just a built in advantage that. In the eight-player game, especially, you don't typically encounter that. So, you know, how do you how do you game plan for a six foot nine, three hundred and twenty-five pound tackle? Uh, there are other linemen on the D line are like six four, two hundred, two ten. You know, so I mean, it's it's a, you know, I mean, that's a big D line that can hefty, cut, hefty, hefty. Not only cut off running lanes, but passing lanes by just ha- you know with that just length being and, there. And, and yeah, I mean, so you gotta you're gonna have to go around them rather than through them. The Brethren did win the West Michigan 8-man football league this year. They were 6-0 and in conference, but 6-3 and overall in the season. So that's the one thing that concerns me about the Bobcats making a deep run into the postseason is outside their own league. They didn't win uh, all three of those losses, and, and two of them uh, against Suttons Bay, who is a Division One school, and then Al Gray Sims, uh, the Bobcats were beaten 150-6. to so but those are two really those really are two good really programs. good teams. So they're not. I, I'm not saying Brethren's going to get run off the board here in the the first round, but I think when they get to facing some of the better teams, that perhaps shows that they might have a little bit of trouble. But in eight player Division One, we've got Onaway at Sutton's Bay. Onaway coming in at five and four. The Norsemen eight and one, and Sutton's Bay has played outstanding down the stretch. Their singular loss to Wyoming Tri-Unity Christian, that's going to become a bit of a running theme here with our eight-player teams <laughs> losing losing to that squad. Jake, you saw Suttons Bay take on Onekama. How dangerous is this team? I mean, just from that game alone and how powerful we know Onekama is and has been over the last couple of years, I mean, they have one of the best defenses in eight-player football, and, uh, you know, they were able to grind out, come out on top of that matchup, and like I said earlier, on seven and four. You know, these when you see an eight player football game go thirteen to six, you know that there's quality football going on. You know, you see a lot of blowouts going here and there, but when Sun when I saw Suns Bay be able to kind of put up or shut up against somebody who's as highly ranked as Onekabo was all season in eight player, it really showed me that even at the end of the season in that eighth game of the or the eighth week of the season, they're ready for playoff football and they're looking better than they have you know, in recent memory, I think, you know, Coach Karagopi has them ready, and Bryce Opie has looked just as good as any other quarterback and eight player has this season. And they've got a nice one-two combination at, you know, in the backfield, too, with Lucas Meisel. Lucas Meisel is their speed guy, and, and Caleb Smith is a guy that you can, you know, can get that short yardage. I mean, he, he can pick up a lot of yardage, but, I mean, mm-hmm. if you got, like, a third and one, third and two, he's probably going to get it. Yeah, and I mean. He's a good fullback. Well, let me just give a little bit of love to this conference because the Midwest Central Michigan Eight-Man Conference West, which is a ridiculous mouthful, and they absolutely need to change the name of this conference, 
the teams will run them top to bottom. Wyoming Trinity Christian five and zero. Sutton's Bay four and one. Onekama three and two. Central Lake, the defending state champions, two and three. And then you got Fife Lake, who went one and four in conference, but four or five overall. I saw Fife Lake play. They are also a playoff team. That's a good team. That is a ridiculous level of competition in that conference. Five out of six teams make the postseason. Bel Air, the lone school uh, left out, and they're not bad. I mean, I, I saw Bel Air play this year. You know, they're a pretty solid team. They're not anybody that you can just overlook and yeah, count, on, uh, count on a win. Yeah, so, out of conference, they so, did. They did some work out of conference too. Yeah, so I'm mm-hmm. curious to see how this conference stacks up against everybody else that they play. Because, I mean, looking at this list right here, that's to win that conference is impressive. And speaking of Forest area, you got the Warriors at four and five. They play Pickford, number one seed in the district, at nine and zero. Oh. Friday at seven o'clock. They're gonna have to go up above the bridge to do that. I mean, that's that's got to be one of the toughest first round matchups of any of our teams here. I mean, Pickford is probably the best eight player football team. They are ranked number. Yeah, well, they're ranked number one in the state. Yeah, and they're good every year. I mean, Pickford was at Forest Area's uh, scrimmage this year and looked really good there too. Um, well, I mean, you're talking about the best, the number one ranked program in the state, uh, Forest Area, who did squeeze it at four and five, which, Brett, you, you made a note just last week that, you know, having a Forest Area team squeeze it at four and five, that's not one that you would personally want to see at four and five, but, you know, the draw with Pickford is going to make the road a little bit harder. Yeah, and one of the teams that didn't make the playoffs that was a bit of a surprise is Manistee Catholic at five and four. Um, they're in the Division two in eight player, but uh, Forest Area got in at four and five in Division one. Uh, I mean, Forest Area's schedule was it's kind all of about loaded. those points, man. Yeah, it was like kind of loaded with a lot of good, uh, a lot of good quality. Yeah, one of the leaders for that Forest Area team is quarterback Chase Ingersoll, and I did see Forest Area play at one point this season. In that game against Misick, he scored five touchdowns. He added a sixth on an interception return for a touchdown. Ran for over two hundred yards, and to have a weapon like that touching the ball every time. That's something that I'm sure is going to be the focus of Pickford's preparation for this game. Before we move on, James, you mentioned that schedule that Forest Area played this year. We'll just take a look at the losses. They started out the season great. They were 4-2. and two. They had a 7-point loss to Suns Bay. They kind of fell apart against Onekama, got obliterated 54-0, to but then Tri-Unity Christian, they lost 28-6. to I mean, yeah, it's a three-score game, but it's not something absurd and then they lost to central lake 40 to 30 and marion 16 to 14 so you know maybe this is what the team needs a little bit of a reset button here going into the postseason but yeah forest area not a four and five team that you want to be playing in the first round we'll move into the 11 player division eight a playoff mainstay but perhaps not one used to squeezing in by the skin of their teeth is frankfurt at five and four and they'll travel to breckenridge uh, Breckenridge 9-0, and and ironically, Breckenridge is who knocked Frankfurt out of the baseball playoffs last spring. Now a lot of those players have graduated and aren't playing anymore, but uh, Breckenridge has some recent history against the Panthers and have done well. The Panthers finished third in the Northern Michigan Football League Leaders Division behind Elk Rapids and Glen Lake, also two playoff teams. This is the sixth consecutive appearance in the postseason for Frankfurt and just another in a very long line of postseason success. However, the Panthers are very young this year. A lot of guys needing to step up in key positions, and they'll be coming off of a loss, a 42-6 loss against Benzie Central last Friday that gave the Huskies, as I said, their first playoff berth since 2011. I don't know how much to take away from that game on Friday, guys. I was, I was there in Benzie. 
I mean, Benzie, despite their recent struggles outside of this year, you know, they're a much bigger school. They've got talent on the field. They're more experienced than Frankfurt was. I don't think Frankfurt's probably going to go on the road and knock off an undefeated team. Is it going to be as ugly as it was on Friday? Mm. Probably. Probably. <laughs> You're calling it right yeah, now. Yeah, you never I, know. I, I mean, just if you, are you looking at their schedule right now? I mean, Frank. I don't think Frankfurt, Frankfurt scored more than 24 points all season. Well, that's false, but we can continue. What would they have, though? 35 was the most, and twice only twice over 24. Okay, yeah, so... In nine games, they scored over 24 points once. I don't know if that's going to cut it against a 9-0 team. They'll be playing a Breckenridge team that uh, pitched six shutouts this season, plus had a forfeit. So seven. They only We're got talking scored baseball, on. James. Yeah. So they only got scored on in two games this season. Uh, one of those was a 20-19 win over Beaverton. They're playing Glen Lake. Uh, they beat Beaverton by one point. And then they also shut out Merrill, 36 to nothing, who is the team that is playing the other Division Eight game against Johannesburg-Lewiston. So perhaps not a great matchup for Frankfurt, being they've got an offense that doesn't put a ton of points on the board, facing off with a defense that rarely allows any points on the board. Going out to Johannesburg-Lewiston, also in Division Eight. you know, Joe Berg is sitting at 8-1, and one, has had a pretty solid season, and obviously um, moving towards the top of Division Eight, I believe they're ranked, I think, number four uh, going into the playoffs is where they ended up at the end of the regular season. Um... But, you know, Mer- Merrill had a pretty decent season. Obviously, with one of those three losses coming to a Breckenridge team, Joburg's going to have a little bit to handle. But, I mean, do you guys see Joburg moving, you know, being one of those teams that moves on into the next weekend? Yeah, I do. And, I mean, I obviously I don't have the firsthand experience of seeing the Cardinals play. But, I mean, they haven't lost since week one. They're on an eight-game winning streak. Uh, they virtually had to come from behind against the Harbor Springs Rams because of an inverted schedule. And they knocked off the Rams and won the Northern Michigan Football League Legacy Division. That was the first time since 1991, I believe. Yeah, and their, I mean, their defense has been superb on the, on the year, just uh, 111 points given up, so a little about 12 points a game. And uh, you know that's the best defense that they've put on the field since uh, they allowed 97 in 2000. That was also a playoff year when they went 8-2. and two. All things aside, not having ever seen either of these teams play, I, I expect Joburg to win, win in the opening round. We don't have any Division 7 teams that made the postseason, so we'll jump right to Division 6. We've got three matchups. Elk Rapids, 7-2, and two, a very uh, nice year in the Leaders' Division. And Traverse City St. Francis, 9-0, and coming off an impressive Week 9 win over previously undefeated New Lothrop. They won the Northern Michigan Football League Legends Division. And guys with, a, with two local teams, you'd like to say that this one is going to be close, that it's going to be a good game. I'm not seeing that. I mean, I think it's, <laughs> I, I, I I like this matchup because it is our two area teams and, you know, two of our better area teams going up against each other. I mean, Elk Rapids has had a pretty solid end to the season if they're able to even... I, I think the biggest thing is, you know, Elk Rapids can put up points and, uh, you know, their, their Come on, defense... Jake, Jake. I mean, their defense has to stop. I know it's good, but you don't usually sugarcoat things. I know. I. <laughs> you don't usually... I mean... 
I, I know St. Francis is going to win this game, but I like the matchup more than it shouldn't. More than I, you know, otherwise. You know, I, I think, I wish Elk Rapids was a, had an easier first-round game so they could maybe get on a roll before they played St. Francis. They're going to yeah. really oh. have to scheme, that they being the Elks, they're really going to have to scheme their game plan very well because they like to throw the ball a lot. And when one of the guys that you have to throw the ball against is St. Francis corner Artie Dutmers, that doesn't equate to success very often. He's got some magnet hands out there on the corner. Yeah, Ellen Mackey and McGee. I mean, the, and Pritchard. That it's a great secondary. That secondary is pretty loaded. Yeah. And they, you know, I mean, that was the difference last year when they went into Millington and won that game. Millington throws the ball all over, and St. Francis' defense, their secondary especially, well, I, I stepped have no, up. I have no well, doubts that it'll happen. Since these two teams didn't play each other, let's just take a quick look at the. Uh, comparables, if you will. Trevor City St. Francis did play Glen Lake and Benzie Central during the regular season, and you could argue before they were at their peak because it was just week two and three. Those are the two teams that Elk Rapids lost to this year. Elk Rapids lost to Benzie 36-30 and lost to Glen Lake 23-15. St. Francis beat those two teams by a combined score of 105-30. to Oh, that's going to be a rough one, but that's a, I just... I like I like it because it's a it's a local on local matchup and absolutely at the, at the and, very best. I mean it's that's be a good that's game. not taking anything away from the job that Keith Schulte's done in his first two years back to back playoff appearances, uh, which hadn't happened for Elk Rapids since two thousand thirteen and fourteen, uh, both seven win seasons. I'm just not seeing an eighth win here for the Elks. Yeah, it, it will. And you be. can you can at me if I turn out to be wrong. <laughs> you can at me if if I'm wrong, but I I just it's. I think this is going to be a bit of a walk for St. Francis into the next round. I think it could be, too. It will be a game, though, that will have a couple of intriguing matchups, at least, I think. Uh, And you'll have that secondary for St. Francis. You know, Danny Passano at safety and Artie Dutmers at corner and the others that we already mentioned. Um, Against Alex Villegas, who's, like, one of the best receivers in the area, along with Drew Peterson, um, and probably one of the fastest players around here, too. Uh, Yeah, he just had five touchdowns last week. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see him in a foot race with – Danny Passano. All right, this is this is probably the point of the show, guys, where uh, I think we can talk about potential state championship a little bit. You know, I'm I don't want to puff anybody up uh, that we don't actually think can get there, and I'm of the opinion that St. Francis is our only area team that can win a state title. We've got other good teams, you know, maybe win a couple of games, but I think St. Francis has the is the only team with a legitimate chance to bring hardware home. Not necessarily looking for agreement or disagreement there, but I mean, how real are the Gladiators' odds right now? I think it'll, I think an eleven player. That's probably true. Yeah, I think um, it's real. An eight player, you know, Sutton's Bay and Odekema probably have a puncher's chance. I think. Yeah. Um, you know, but in, but an eleven player, yeah, I think St. Francis is probably the only legit state finalist contender. Um, you know, and man, that game against New Lothrop. I mean, New Lothrop's got a running back going to Missouri. And I saw and New Lothrop week one against Glen Lake, and granted that was a mismatch. Glen Lake wasn't ready for that kind of competition in week one. But, yeah, that is a good football team. And were they able to run the jet sweep against Glen Lake? Yeah. St. Francis totally game-planned them and just set the edges with their linebackers and defensive ends and took that play out of the playbook for New Lothrop, and that took – him out of the game, took Harrison out of the game completely. He only got five carries because they just never ran the jet sweep. They just never could. So they kept running quarterback read option up the middle and because because they were setting the edges and the middle was open a little bit more, so they kept taking that and getting maybe five yards. 
But without Harrison breaking those big plays like he did against Glen Lake, I mean, St. Francis had, had broken their back by then. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a new Lothrop team that uh, in the last nine years, only one time have they lost more than one game in the season. So to consider the fact that they got beat by three scores against St. Francis, I think that almost tells you everything you need to know about where St. Francis is at right now. Yeah, yeah I, I, they're in the right place at the right time, I can tell you that much. Yeah, I think it does. The only thing that I, the only kind of cautionary thing I say about that game is that I don't know 100% that New Lothrop came into this game with the same desire to win this game as St. Francis did. Talking to their coach after the game, you know, he was like, you know, going 9-0 and was not a huge goal for us. We've done that, I can't remember how many times yeah, he said. He said they've done it like eight out of the last ten years, and when they've, whenever they've done it, they haven't won the state title, so they don't really care about going 9-0. and And, you know, they – they were locked in in their district as to who they were going to play in the first round, whether they won or lost this game. So they didn't have a whole lot to play for. Yeah, I mean, that, just, that's not taking anything away from St. Francis. I mean, St. Francis took that game from them. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, there is that just to consider a little bit. You know, I mean, I think St. Francis is in the right place at the right time. They're rolling hot. They're rolling heavy. But you just have to remember that, you know, in that Division Six, there's some traditional powerhouses just like Trevor City St. Francis with Jackson, Lumen, Christie, Ithaca, like – Teams who, when they get deeper into the playoffs, it is not, I, I already know for a fact it's not going to be a three-score or four-score game. So when they start to get tested a little bit more down the road is when we'll know for sure if they're, if they're the ones with the goods. But, you know, I think with the way they've looked all season, there's really nobody scarier heading into the playoffs. Also in Division Six, Kingsley finished second to St. Francis in the Northern Michigan Football League Legends Division. They went 8-1 and one on the year, completely turning things around in Literally. Tim Moore's return. Yeah, they were 1-8 and eight a season ago. Now 8-1, and one, hosting a playoff game against 5-3 and three Tawas. And if you look at Kingsley and what they did the first time when Kim, Tim Moore came in, it was kind of the same thing. Well, I think they were like a 2-7 and seven team or something the year before. He came in, and then they turned that around to, uh, you know, seven and two, six and three, eight and one type of winning season, in just one year. And I asked him this year, I'm like, "You going to do that again?" And he, he, he was a little hesitant to. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't want to. That was a funny Claim part. anything is is now. I I talked to him on Friday, and I asked him basically the the opposite end of the question. I said, "Now we did the whole 360." I'm like, "Did you think it was like the whole way? Did you think he was just like?" You know, when we first started off with, I really had no idea. He's like, but we just feel good playing right now. He's just like, I didn't think it was going to be 8-1. and one. I can tell you that much. But, hey. Yeah, I'm not sure how many, how many people saw that coming, especially when. Uh, the quote he gave me was, I don't know how I did it. And it's like, oh, don't give me that. <laughs> yeah. Well, he did tell me that that first, the very first practice they had to kick off the season was the worst practice he'd seen in 20-some years of coaching football. So, they did something right after that. Maybe they just had to Maybe get that it. Was the they just had to get it out of their system. This is the this is the Stags' first playoff berth since 2013. They had gone four seasons without, and it's their first eight and one regular season since 2005 when they won that state title. So that's I mean just absolutely incredible turnaround. You you talk about a team last year. They they only scored 157 points on the season and gave up 269, and this year they scored 345 and gave up 167. I I don't even really know how to describe that kind of turnaround. It's pretty unbelievable. The only the only thing that stinks about their playoff run is that 
early on, uh, if they do move on, they're gonna get they're gonna start getting pelted with some powerhouse teams, including Traverse City St. Francis. I believe it is in, I think it'd be the third round. Um, is the way that they have it set it up right now. But if they did keep rolling, they're gonna meet up with some familiar foes. Yeah, and that is their one loss on the season, a 43-8 setback against the Gladiators in Week 4. But in any case, this is a season to celebrate for Kingsley football. Our last Division Six game, Glen Lake at Beaverton. We kind of touched on both these teams a little bit before. Glen Lake squeaking it at 5-4 and four via playoff points. Beaverton 7-2. and two. And Jake, I, I do think we need to address the elephant in the room. We do. I believe uh, going back to our football season preview show i believe your bold prediction was that glenn lake would not make the playoffs i was almost right by the hair of the chinny chin chin you know what it, you know what it's called when you're almost right wrong wrong but let me tell you this much and this is what this is what i want to say to the glenn lake football team now that you've proven me wrong to this point i've already chosen you as my upset to come out of the first round because if you know even just being able to turn around like you did after starting 0-2 and really squeeze in there on those points, I now now I want to be really proven wrong. That, we, that's my challenge. Really uh, prove me wrong. We, you suck up. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, right there, I mean, that's, that's the perfect example of why teams should and those who don't need to schedule tough games because, I mean, weeks one and two, Glen Lake had New Lothrop, Traverse City, St. Francis. Granted, that was a, a league game, and Kingsley was a league game. But that's three three teams on your schedule that went a combined twenty five and two on the year. That's gonna help. That's gonna help the point situation, and it, it certainly did and, here. And both of those two came to St. Francis. But twenty five and two. Yeah, the other two losses teams? from Lothrop and oh, Kingsley. Lothrop and oh, Kingsley. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's so right. All, all twenty seven <laughs> wins accounted for. But, uh, Again, if you wanted to know why St. Francis is pretty good. No, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. I mean, I'll, I'll bite my tongue, and that's what I'm saying. I hope that Glenn Lake proves me right. That's also why you need to listen to the Get Around podcast so you have bulletin board material to really push your team to get into the playoffs because I, I already know that. That's why I couldn't believe that you were, you know, hyping up the Elk Rapids-St. Francis matchup. Oh, uh, this, you, I was waiting. Historically, that's just not your M.O. No, I was waiting for it because I was hoping, uh, you know, this is my upset pick. This is my this is my surprise, surprise. I didn't expect you guys to be this far, so I really, you know, hope you guys can make it even further. All right, we're going to gloss over Division 5 a little bit. We have two matchups, and we've been going in order from 8-man up through eventually Division 1. We're going we're gonna to skip over Benzie Central's matchup at this point. We're going to talk about Claire at Manistee. And how about those Chippewas, an undefeated regular season? First time ever in school history. First 9-0 and season, yeah. They've had 8-0 season, regular seasons before, but never a 9-0 and season. It's the first time since, was it 1961? I believe that's the number you gave me. That, that they've had, that they've, you know, just had a, a, an outright League championship, not a shared that they've won an outright title. Of course, there's a big chance in their. It's big also time their last there. undefeated season, 1961. They were eight zero. Right, and there's also a big stretch in there too where they were an independent, so they couldn't win a conference title. But you know, it's still impressive. They're nine and zero. Their offense has just been piling up points. Uh, you know, their their defense has been giving them up a bit too. Um, but when you got an offense like that. You know, that kind of cures all. <laughs> yeah, this is actually, uh, this is Manistee's best offense in school history. They scored 360 points on the season, and that's never been done before in Manistee. And 
like you said, they, they ran the table in their conference, the Lakes 8 Activities Association Conference, and it'll be interesting to see what they can do going forward. You know, that's another team that we kind of are able to keep our eyes on from afar, but not typically, especially with the schedule that they played. I mean, you know, Ludington is maybe the closest game that they played to us up here, so we haven't really had that chance to see them, but we'll be interested to see what they do moving forward. Yeah, I got, I got to see their scrimmage a little bit um, when they came down to Kingsley, so they, they scrimmaged against, you know, Kingsley and Manton, those type of teams. Um, you know, they look they look good there, obviously. I mean, and to go back to their offense, uh, in week eight, they played Granville Kelvin Christian, who's not the greatest team in the world. Obviously, they went one and eight, but they still put up 49 points on them with their backup quarterback. Trevor Johns, their starting quarterback, was injured that week. They put their backup quarterback in and scored 49 points. We're going to jump up to Division Three. Gaylord, 6-3, and going to travel to ranked Cedar Springs, who's 8-1 and one on the year. And I think this game, as much of the season has for uh, Gaylord, is going to come down to whether they can get Cade Foster his touches and if he can get his yards because he's the one big-time weapon that the Blue Devils have. Cade Foster did just break the school record for rushing yards in a season, so they've definitely been giving those touches, but they've played in a lot of close games this year, and having to come out on the other side of that, um, especially when they're using that running attack the way they do, sometimes it's hard with the clock running and getting down when you're in those close games, but, I mean... This, this this matchup against uh, Cedar Springs, it's it's going to be another tight one, um, especially if they're able to get Cade Foster moving. It'll probably be the toughest matchup that they've had all year. Uh, you, you mentioned the close games. They've got one-point losses to Petoskey and Traverse City West, and then their third was a, a shutout on their new turf, uh, 28-0 to TC Central. But I do think this is going to be the toughest test that the Blue Devils have faced so far this season. The other Division Three game, and uh, we actually thought we were only going to have one Division Three game. We thought it was going to perhaps be Petoskey versus Gaylord, but that's not the way that it shook out. Petoskey will be at unbeaten and top-five ranked Mount Pleasant. So, I mean, these two schools are drawing a couple of the best teams in Division Three in the first round. I don't know. Either you like the Northmen's chances much in this in this matchup. But Toski has played a lot of schools, you know, pretty tightly, and I I feel like there's one of those they're one of those teams that they actually did play Mount Pleasant this year. They already played them. What they, was the score? They played in week one, so you know you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt because as any coach will ever tell you, they're never the same team in week one as they are in week ten. Uh, they were shut out in that game, but it wasn't a blowout. It was thirteen to nothing. Yeah, so, that, so. That, that's what I was going to bring up is Petoski seems to play up to their opponents. And you know, kind of just bring the game to the to the to the field. That you know, what I'm saying their their skill level gets better when they play better opponents. So I think having a team like Mount Pleasant, especially like I said, um, having a team that you play a second time, it gives you a little bit more time to figure them out. And thirteen points, I mean, that's just a bad player to uh, you know going your way, and it's it's a, it's a whole different ball game. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. They they dropped week nine to Traverse City West, twenty one to six. That's a game if Petoskey finds a way to win. You've got a three-way tie atop the Big North between Petoskey, West, and Central. And that game was close for a while. Uh, it was a 14-point game against Traverse City Central and against Escanaba, a ranked team in Division Five In the playoffs as, a, as well. As a one-point game. And then, of course, the, the Mount Pleasant game that we just detailed in Week 1. So it'll be interesting to see what Petoskey does. That's, you know, we talked about... Uh, Forest area and the eight man yeah. being a, a dangerous four and five team. Well, 
Petoskey is a dangerous 5-4 and four team here. We'll see who perhaps learned more and improved the most from their Week 1 matchup, whether that's Mount Pleasant or Petoskey. Division 2, Traverse City Central. The Trojans, 7-2 and two on the season, still managed to host despite the loss two weeks ago against Escanaba at Thurlby Field. Many of us thought that may have cost the Trojans a chance to have a home playoff game, but they still got it. Now we got three at Thurlby. We do have three at Thurlby. Which is hilarious so, because yeah. we barely had any games at Thurlby, it seems like. Yeah, so, so West on Friday night, Central on Saturday night, and St. Francis Saturday afternoon. It's going to be a busy time at Thurlby Field. But the Trojans here at 7-2 and two welcome in Jenison at 6-3. and three. Jenison's a dangerous team. I mean, they're six and three, but their two of their losses are to Muskegon and Muskegon Mona Shores, who are a combined two of the best teams in the entire state, regardless of division. Yeah, and the other one was a week one loss to Grand Rapids Forest Hill Central, which is another above five hundred team. You know, so you can't you can't discount them and assume that because they're the they're the visitors that they're not going to pose a threat here. Um, you know, they've had in that in playing in the OK OK conference. I mean, Traverse City teams have not done very well against okay conference teams in the playoffs. No, they have not. Perhaps the one thing that, you know, Central can look to and perhaps its offense will be excited about the opportunity for is the fact that Jenison did give up 226 points this season. That's a that's a pretty healthy amount. It, you know, I bet, I bet Tobin Schwanick, he's looking at that and is salivating a little bit, knowing that there's going to be a little bit of space on the field, both probably in the air and on the ground. But almost half of that was against those two best teams in the state that we saw. They gave up 49 points each to Mona Shores and Muskegon. That's about yeah, 100 points of 200, what you say, 26? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Central's been a little bit up and down this year. Um, you know, I guess I, from the outset of the season, I expected maybe more than a 7-2 and two season, which, I mean, you can't do a whole lot better in the regular season than that. But, <laughs> but after their loss to Escanaba, you know, I, I talked to wide receiver Sam Schmidt and you know, in that game, Escanaba, they really took it to Central, won that game 38-21, and Escanaba's a good team, their playoff team, they're ranked in their own division, uh, albeit won a couple of steps down the ladder from Central, and, uh, you know, Schmidt just kind of said, we can't worry about whether or not this was our last game on Thurlby, we still have plans to win a state championship, and, you know, I'm not saying that Central's going to win a state title, but if they think they are... That's at least half the battle to them kind of turning things around and uh, making a run into the postseason because uh, you've got you got to believe it to get there. And struggles aside, I think they still believe that. Well, I do want to take a quick nod to the work that Eric Sugars and his staff has done uh, since he took over. This is his fourth season. They've made the postseason all four years. And Coach Tom Passanau, who led the – the team the year before he got them there in 2014 as well so that's five straight years for central in the playoffs that's the longest streak in school history uh not you got to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt because back when say Jim Uli was leading Traverse City to a couple of state championships they didn't have the the pre-district rounds you know you could well in, for the instance in 1987 the Trojans went seven and two and didn't get in the playoffs uh so you know there's that, but nonetheless, but very, back in those very days, impressive. It was also streak. just one school too, so That's they had three thousand some kids to choose from for one football team. 
That would be nice. Yes, impressive run nonetheless. And last but not least, Traverse City West, our lone Division I team and Big North Conference champion, 7-2 and two on the season, will host Rockford at 5-4. and four. Now, James, even having been here for four years now and five playoff seasons, the trials and tribulations of West visiting Rockford predate me a little bit. So, I mean, how big a game is this going to be within the West community because of who they're playing in the first round? I, I think it I think it makes it huge. I mean, you know, West has long struggled against Rockford. It's been their nemesis in the playoffs. Even when they've had good teams in the past, they've gone into the playoffs with some momentum, and you just you draw Rockford in the first round, and you have to go down there, and they've, they've never beaten them before. In school history. I was just uh, going to go there. I was going to say, do you guys want to play a little game of how many times has West beaten Rockford in school history? I'll give you a hint. It's less than one. They're they're 0-8 all time. Yeah, I mean, it, it is their And their that's nemesis. only like a 20-year history, so <laughs> eight times, yeah, and those are all in big situations. And pretty much all those are in the playoffs. Yeah. yeah. 2014, they lost in the playoffs. 2013, they lost in the playoffs. 2012, they lost in the playoffs. 2010, they lost in the playoffs. 2008 in the playoffs. 2007 in the playoffs. And 2005 in the playoffs, 2004 in the playoffs. I, I think I could keep going, except that literally got us to the beginning of Traverse City West football history. So you, you know about how that's gone. Yeah, about, what, 40% of the time Traverse City West has been knocked out by Rockford. So I'm sure there's a bit of revenge ready to kind yeah. of be dished out here in this game. Yeah, the pregame speech that Greg Vaughn is going to give before that is pretty much laid out for him already. Yeah, you know, you've got you know, 2004, this, this 2005, 2007. I, I yeah. actually want to check your math real quick here, Jake, because you said about forty percent of the time, eight times Rockford's knocked them out of the postseason. They've had before this year had thirteen playoff berths, so Rockford's oh. actually knocked them out sixty-one and a half percent of the time. Exact flip flop. Okay, <laughs> I was going off with total school history, and then just eight years. But oh man. So, yeah, the Man. motivation factor there for West is, got, is huge. I mean, to be able to knock off their nemesis, and I keep using that word over and over and over again to refer to Rockford because they are West's nemesis. But, hey, getting them at home, getting Rockford in a year where it's, you know, their most down year since 1994, but it's still Rockford. Yeah. They still have, you know, Ralph Munger, who's a Hall of Fame coach leading them. Their name carries a little cachet. Yeah. I mean... You know, Rockford's got players playing in the NFL. West has a player playing in the NFL right now, too. But, you know, so you've got I mean, just the opportunity being there to, to do this and get that monkey off their back is such a huge opportunity. I mean, that, that they just really have to be. I think they have a good chance, though. That, but that's the, that's the big thing is, you know, after watching Traverse City West play this year, we, I've started to, you know, buy in more and more and more and more. And, they, sh- they, they shouldn't be scared of anybody at this point, honestly. With the defense that they have out there... And I, don't, I, I don't think they will be. Yeah. Yeah, as long, as they, they, as, long as they don't turn the ball over, yeah. they'll be fine. I, which they're, they're still having some issues with, but that's just... I just I'm sure, it's for the Titans, it's... Yeah, it's Rockford, you lost eight times, but there ain't not, there's nothing to be scared of. You know, this is, a, this is a Trevor City West team that has done damage to their opponent on the defensive side, and even when their offense isn't doing so hot, their defense literally can't... Uh, w- or will not seed even a few a few points here or there so 
I mean, it, very interesting matchup. I cannot wait to be there on Friday. Well, that leaves one game remaining on our local prep playoff schedule, and that is going back to Division Five, six and three, Benzie Central at Reed City, nine and zero. But nobody in Benzie Central gives a crap about that because these Huskies are in the playoffs for the first time since two thousand and eleven. Just two years ago, Benzie didn't have a varsity football season. They they played the first game of the year, had a bunch of injuries, and because of safety concerns, they decided to call the season, and they still ran a JV schedule that year. Uh, but it, it certainly was completely rebuilding the team. And I mentioned at the top, uh, Jason Cott, five years at the helm of Benzie Central, and the first four were not pretty, but he knew what he had. He knew what he was doing, and the dividends have finally come to be paid. They went 0-9 and 14, 1-8 and 15, 0-7 in 16. That's the year that got suspended where they only played one game. 1-8 and last year, and now 6-3. and The offense has scored more points uh, than any team in, uh, since 2004 in school history, which coincidentally is the second to last time that the Huskies made the postseason. And we are super excited to have Benzie Central's Tom Ross and Joe Wade join us in studio today to cap off our playoff preview special for the 2018 football season. Let's go ahead and listen to that interview now. I'm excited to welcome in Benzie Central football players Tom Ross and Joe Wade into the Get Around Podcast studios for episode 54. Guys, thanks for making the drive from Benzie. I know after practice you probably just wanted to go home and eat or something, but uh, we, we appreciate you guys being here. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. All right, so let's go back to Friday. We're just two, three days removed from your 42-6 to win over Frankfurt that clinched the school's first postseason berth since 2011. Have You guys can each answer this one. Have you had time to digest that and what it means yet? And, I mean, how does it feel now just a couple of days later? Um, you know, it just feels incredible to be, uh, be the first team since 2011, you know, to clinch the playoff berth for Benz, you know, especially to do it against Frankfurt, who's been, um, been a rival rivalry game for us for a long time and you know we haven't had that the past few years and uh to do it in a 42 to 6 victory felt you know it felt amazing such a great feeling to have I mean we've been like talking about this ever since our freshman year like oh we want to be the team to do this and you know finally Friday came and we were able to not only just put it to Frankfurt but do it for our team and for our county too just to be the football team that brought Benzie back now you guys following week seven are sitting at four and three. You know you've got two games at home against Boyne and against Frankfurt. Joe, was there any worry within the team that you had to win the last two to ensure that you got in? Um, we knew we had to do it. We were we were sitting at three and three, and um, from that point, we just treated every game as a playoff game. We knew we had to win the next each game. We had to win the next one to keep going. You know, it was just we've been in the playoffs for. Uh, this will be our fourth week of the playoffs, basically. Basically, we've just been having to win to keep surviving and have that automatic playoff burst. So, uh, really, we just uh, we just went out there and did what we did. You know, no uh, 
no sense of nervousness. We just knew what we had to do. Uh, Tom, I don't know, maybe you guys were pretty low-key in terms of the celebration. Maybe you weren't. If you weren't, I want to hear about it. What did you guys go do afterwards? But in the couple of days since, I mean, what's been the what's been the reaction from the community like? Because the crowd was pretty well there on Friday despite rain and cold and otherwise miserable conditions. What's what's the reaction from the community been like since you guys clinched? Because while they maybe weren't on the field or is in the case uh, two years ago off of it with the season canceled, they've kind of been a little bit along the ride with you guys and hoping that you'd turn it around. What What's what's the reaction been like? Um, yeah, I think it's been good. I, mean, I think there's a lot of people around Bentley County just talking about this, like, hey, we're We've got a football team that's made it to the playoffs finally. I think they're all pretty excited, you know, just as we are, and they're just, like, hoping for the best for us and just want us to keep rolling. Do you guys kind of see this as the the beginning and kind of resetting the foundation of this program and just kind of hope, hoping that this is the, the beginning of something that could be even bigger down the road? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think, you know, this is just a step in the right direction. You know, we're really, this year, having a pretty solid year. I think it's just going to keep the guys fired up to be like, hey, we need to follow in their footsteps so they're just going to keep working as hard or harder than we did and try to keep it the same and keep rolling. Joe, you guys are both seniors. Uh, so Coach Cott, he, he took over the program the year before you got to high school. I don't know how much interaction you had with him as eighth graders. What was your first impression of him, and at what point did you know he was the guy that was going to help turn things around? Um, you know, with it was a change, and like you know, I was I was unsure at first if you know he was gonna be, be the right right thing for it. But um, it really hit me freshman year. I just with his uh, the way he, when I first really interacted with him was uh, just the way he wanted the way he coached. You know, the way um, we all were in the weight room. You know, just he was trying to get things back on the right uh, path at Bensie, and um, I just knew it from that point on that we. Uh, we had the right guy there to do it. What was the biggest thing that he did different? What was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, I know you were a freshman, so maybe you didn't have the inside the insight into what varsity teams had done before, but what was the moment where you were like, okay, this is this is definitely different? Um, I would say that's <laughs> a tough question. Yeah, yeah go um, ahead. Take your time. But it's just, um, you know, I know he came from a very successful program downstate, and he just I, – I knew – he knew what he was doing, and I just trusted that. And I mean, just just the way practices were. I mean, they were they were on schedule. You had everything set on a uh, set on time, and like, just you're out there to do football. You're out there to do it on a schedule. Be doing your best at every just just focused. Tom, was there any recruiting that you guys had to do, especially as you got older, to try to get guys to come out to the team while you were still struggling? Was it was that something you did, and how, how hard was that? Um, I mean, we did a little. I mean, some of our friends at school they don't they play other sports, and we just rag on them and stuff. Be like, hey, you need to get out here. I mean, this is the best sport out there, so come on and play. But I mean, I guess like if they didn't want to play, we were just gonna waste our time on them. So we just. We didn't spend a whole ton of time. I mean, I think our coach, he was the same as us. Like, if so they showed a little interest, he would give them a chance. But then if not, he'd just, like, move them aside and move on to the next guy. How much uh, does it show kind of Benzie's patience and and sticking with Coach Cod? I mean, I, I, a lot of schools, I think, after, what, three wins in four years, would have changed coaches. But how much does it speak to, to keeping that continuity, sticking behind 
the guy that you picked and, and now it, it paying off. How, how much does that say about Benzie and, and maybe what other schools might not do in that situation? You know, I think it was good. I think I'm glad that they didn't just bail on him after the first few years of having him. You know, I think, like, in, I think they saw that, like, with our class, because, I mean, we've had several successful years in middle school and then, like, our sophomore year, I think they saw there might be some hope, like, at coming towards this year. So they were like, hey, we'll just let this guy go and see if he can finally, like, help Benzie come back. And so I'm glad they definitely did. Two years ago, varsity opens, they play the first game, you guys had some injuries, and ultimately coach and the administration decides it's best to cancel the rest of the varsity season. At the time, did that feel like a step back, or did you guys still feel like, no, they're, they're making the best decision you know, for us, and this is just another thing that we have to do to get to where we want to be? Um, I felt like it was like ultimately the best decision, just for the program, for, I mean, you, you'd have just people up on varsity playing that shouldn't be playing. They weren't weren't ready for it, and, like, it just, we were all able to play on JV that year, and just, we had a very successful season, and, like, I think that was, it ended up being a step in the right direction, even though it was terrible, awful that we had to cancel the varsity season. I mean, it ended up, I think, being the right decision. Was it, was it a hard, how hard of a decision was it, though, Tom? Um, you know, I think it was hard. I mean, those seven seniors that are on the team, you you just hate to see them not be able to finish a year. Like, it's their last season they're ever going to play football, and it was just hard to see them, just have, even after the first game, just have to let it all go. Jump back to the game a little bit uh, to talk about the two of you on the field. Uh, Tom, you, you scored five touchdowns in that game against Frankfurt. Is that something you saw coming in the game plan, or I mean, how how'd that come about on Friday? Um, you know, like going in the game, my coach had been telling me, "Oh, you're just gonna probably get doubled the whole game, so like we're gonna have to look to other receivers if we're throwing the ball." And then once, like we opened up, I scored the first touchdown. I was like, "Well, maybe, maybe I'm gonna have myself a game," and it ended up just just working out with it. I could have such a great game. How do you describe him as a weapon, Joe? Because, I mean, he had three rushing scores, two receiving scores. He sometimes steps in and throws for you once in a while. What what type of weapon is he on the field? Uh, he's just a weapon that, I mean, it, I'm so thankful to have. I mean, just throwing the ball to him, it's so comfortable. I know where he's going to be. I just I feel like we have a great connection that way, and um, it's just great to have him in the running game too so he can take pressure off me, the running backs. It's just it's great to have him. And, and how much has Sunder Stoltz been a, a big addition to the offense this year? I mean, he'd never played football before. Was he somebody that you guys recruited to come out for the football team? Yeah, I mean, ever since, like, freshman year or even before that, we've been like, come on, you got to go out and play football because he's been one of the best athletes at our school. And he's like, oh, I don't like sport. But then finally <laughs> senior year, he decides to come out, and he's definitely helps out a lot, just adding another, like, threat to all of our offense. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, yeah, he's got to be one of the fastest guys around, or, or in the conference at least. Yeah. I mean, that just adds another dimension for you guys on the outside. And you've run a couple of uh, reverses to him and stuff too, I think, this season, right? Yeah, he's just, I mean, he's so quick. And, I mean, he's he's one of the faster kids in the state without a doubt. And he's just, it's like, a, it's just such a threat to have him out there. Right? Even if you're not throwing the ball to him, they know, like, what he's capable of. So, I mean, they're they're ready for it. I mean. So before we move on to the postseason, I w- there was another game that I wanted to bring up, and I was at the game you guys hosted Traverse City St. Francis earlier in the year. 
And the reason I want to bring this one up is because even though St. Francis ended up winning that game, it wasn't, I think that loss and talking to coach after the game really illustrated the type of mindset that you guys have as a team because on paper, St. Francis, it looked like, should come in there, roll you guys over, and just move on to the next game. But that wasn't something you guys were willing to accept, and even when the game was over, it was sort of a feeling like you guys felt had you just played a little better, it could have been a football game. How how have you gotten those expectations so high to where you think you should be able to compete with the best of the best? Um, you know, I, we just... We think uh, we think we have athletes that can compete with anybody around here, and I mean, um, you you have to go into a game thinking you're going to you're going to win, you're going to play right right with the team, even if they are a better team than you. You have to have that mindset that you're going to go in there and play uh, play for play with them, and um, if you don't have that, you're not going to do it. But yeah, without without a few mistakes in that game, I feel as if though we would have been right in that game. Tom, did you guys? take something extra away other than the feeling that you could have been in that one were there things specifically that you guys learned about yourselves or or knew that you could do moving forward that was ultimately going to help you get to that sixth win in the regular season um yeah I mean like with that game them being like a top team of saving and scoring on them we're like we know that we can score on basically I think like most teams around here and so I mean that definitely helped I guess, boost our confidence with offense, and then we realized that, like, if we want to be able to win these games, we're going to have to stop teams from scoring on us because that was, like, our biggest problem, obviously, going, like, out of that game. So you guys travel to undefeated Reed City on Friday. Have you had some film sessions already? I know it's only Monday when we're doing this recording. Have you have you looked at some film? You know, what what's the mindset right now? you know, what, four days from kickoff, and, and where do you think uh, the keys of that game are? Um, you know, they're obviously a very, uh, very strong, they're a very good football team, and, um, you know, we, we have watched film, we, uh, we know what they've got, we've, um, we've been um, already working in practice on what we're doing, what we're defend- how we're defending it, what we're going to, what we're going to do on offense, and, um, we know it's going to be a tough task, but we're uh, we're prepared and we're going to be ready for it. Just go back to the Frankfurt game a little bit. Uh, how awkward is that going to make uh, family gatherings in the future that you can uh, <laughs> oh, that you yeah. can tell your uncle I scored five touchdowns on you? Uh, you know, it'll definitely make a make a good laugh every now and then just to bring it up on him. But I think he's he's a good guy, and I think he'll he'll probably make jokes on him about himself, like with it, just because he he's a good guy. And we'll, Funny. <laughs> your 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 mom Sarah Ross is mm-hmm. Matt Stapleton, their brother and sister, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just to to let everybody in on James' joke there. Yeah. So, so does, and your mom also keeps the stats for the team. Does she inflate your stats a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joe might have given you away a little. I don't know. I I don't think so. I, mean, I guess I never go through them and go play that play to check what she's doing. But I think I mean she, she does a good job. And I'm hoping she doesn't, because it's got to be fair. <laughs> I mean, they seem they seem accurate. I'm, I'm going to assume they are. They were pretty legit on Friday against Frankfurt. I mean, if there was a game where she was going to pump them up a little bit, that would have been the one, just mm. to rub it into her brother a little. All right, so, Joe, you, you mentioned the, the connection and, and throwing to Tom on the field, and 
you know, the type of weapon he is. I mean, how, how close are you guys off the field? What's the what's the rest of the team like, and what are you guys doing on off days or, you know, in the evenings after practice to kind of uh, increase that camaraderie factor? Uh, me and Tom, as along with a lot of the team, are very close. We're, uh, we're always doing stuff together, whether it be on the weekends, um, hanging out at friends' houses, going up come up to Travers, I mean, it's it's our place to go, and, um, you know, we're, we're always close, we're, uh, we're doing stuff together, I feel like we're a very close-knit team. So who hosts the team dinners? We normally go over to the Wamsley's house. Okay, right Caleb, right, yeah. and, uh, and Hunter? Yeah. Yep. Okay, so what's the, what's the draw there, what do they, what do they put on the table? Sloppy Joe's are yeah. a common one. Yeah. Okay. Pizza sometimes, you know, and just depends. Yeah. Or if their dad's feeling, you know, like making for us. Yeah. So if the team was going to, you know, take a bit of a, a retreat or a field trip, I mean, what are you, what are you guys gonna go do? Are you gonna go fishing? Go, sit on the beach if the weather was still somewhat <laughs> kind of nice. Uh, go bowling. What's the, what's the activity of choice when you guys hang out? Um, you know, we all we all love the outdoors. So I mean, generally it's something outdoors. We all like fishing. We all like being out at the beach. So. Uh, something involved in the outdoors normally. What's it like having a uh, former NFL player on the uh, coaching staff? Kyle Cook. James, you yeah. gotta you got to introduce these people. Yeah, yeah, Kyle Cook, who's <laughs> no relation to me. If you've ever seen us stand next to each other, you can see the, there is absolutely no resemblance no whatsoever. No family resemblance. No. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not like 300 pounds and 6'4". <laughs> 5'8", um, 180-something. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool to have him. I mean, just think, you know, this guy, he's went through all the loves, and he's played at top-notch football against the best guys out there. It's pretty cool, and he, he obviously knows all this stuff, so it's great to have him to help out our line and everything. So, I mean, we, they should know what they're doing. So it's just great. Yeah. And, when, and when it's raining during, cla- during uh, practice or anything like that, you guys can always seek shelter underneath his truck, <laughs> right? Because that thing is jacked yeah, that's up. True. <laughs> all right, we're going to jump into the wheelhouse Uh, for everybody who listens to the show you know what that is in case this is your first time tuning in the wheelhouse is uh, five quick rapid fire questions with two guests it might be a little bit different but uh, we'll start off with an easy one for you guys just you know who's who's your favorite football player or someone that you model your game after i would say uh i really like baker mayfield you know he's one uh he's not the biggest guy you know but uh I kind of feel like I play the same game as him. You know, I can throw the ball, but I can run it too. You know, I feel like I can just something I model it after a little bit. You know, he's got a little bit of cockiness to him. So Do you dance I mean, as well as Baker Mayfield? I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to like a guy who plants a flag at the, yeah. at the horseshoe, right? Yeah. Um, you know, before this season I played a lot of quarterbacks, so I would always, you know, look up. I, Tom Brady was one of my favorite players ever since I was a little kid, so I would always just, like, watch him and, I don't know, and I think I'm a little more athletic than him. <laughs> but, you know, now playing receiver, um, I don't know. I've always liked Julio Jones, and he's just been such a great, great receiver and really coming on these past few seasons for him. And So I think he's just athletic and does things for his team, and I think I've been like helping our team making plays for them in times needed. All right, I, I've got another one to give James another second to think of one of his own. Oh, I have to think of one of my own? Yeah, you're, I'm, putting, putting, you on, me on I'm putting you on the spot here. So uh, tweak it a little bit. 
Tom, your favorite route to run. Joe, your favorite route to throw to. Favorite route? I probably either. It's got to be a post route. I don't know. I like those. It seems, you know, we normally connect pretty good on, on those. Uh, without a doubt, a post for sure. Okay. I love throwing it to Tom, man. Just, I feel like we, that's like our route that we have. Saunders the fly guy. Saunders the fly guy, yeah. All right. Yeah. So what is the best place in Benzie County to hang out at? Oh, man, there's not much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, other than friends' house, we don't normally just go somewhere in Benzie County to... Yeah, if it's the summer, I mean the beach, but... Uh... Yeah. Okay, so you, you guys did say, though, that you come to TC. Where do you, where do you like to hang out here? Um, you know, normally we'll sometimes go see a movie or something, just go to the mall, hang out, buy some buy some clothes or something, you know, just uh, just come up to Travis, get get a little different experience than just being in Benzie County. Favorite sport that isn't football? Uh, basketball. Uh, mine's got to be baseball. Okay. And uh, let our listeners in, what positions do you guys play? And uh, I play point guard, shooting guard, and basketball. Okay. And I play a pitcher and I'm a center fielder, too. Okay. So, obviously, all the attention right now is... Uh, is on football. Did I mean any? I mean, basketball is not that far away. Do you even give any thought to it? You oh, know, not what? at all. Football's without a doubt like my favorite sport. So okay, it's not yeah. even on my mind. And baseball's you know. too far away to think about yeah. anyway, right? Yeah, it's almost, I'm just thinking about football in this next game right now. <laughs> all right, and uh, we'll give you one more. Just where is a place that you would like to go to that you've never been? You know, I guess when I was younger, we went out to. Colorado went out to Pikes Peak, but I guess I don't really remember that. So I think I I'm a I like to ski. I haven't been out lately, but I was like I snowboard, and my dad always talks about wanting to go out there. So I think it'd be really cool to just go out there and go like on a skiing trip out there. That'd be pretty cool. Awesome. Um, I think like out west somewhere too. I mean, I just love uh, probably like like the west uh, west coast somewhere out in like Oregon or Washington. You know, I just uh. I love to fish, love to hunt, and I mean, there's some uh, great opportunities to do stuff like that out there, and I'd just love to go out there and experience it. James, got, you got any parting? I got another one. Okay, all right, right, all right. Since we're coming up with questions on the fly. <laughs> so last week in college football was hate week with Michigan, Michigan State, and then you also had Central Michigan, Western Michigan, who hate each other. And then on the high school level, you had you guys in Frankfurt. Where does where does that rank? Because I know there's a, there, the, the two schools have a long rivalry and, you know, the Benzie people always say that Frankfurt's are trying to recruit their best players away and stuff. <laughs> we're friends with some of the guys over there, but when it comes to sports, we're like, we want to beat you. We're, we're not friends on the field. So it's definitely towards the top of a rivalry because they're just cross-town rivals. Yeah, I think it's, uh, with sports-wise, I mean, the, out of all the sports, it's uh, they're my favorite team to play. I just love It's a big rivalry game, and it's just uh, it's always a good atmosphere with the community all there, and it's just uh, it's a fun game. All right. Well, thank you guys, Tom, Joe. We appreciate you stopping by the Get Around Podcast Studios. We uh, thank you for taking the time to drive all the way to TC on a day where you're not hanging out at the beach. <laughs> Good luck on Friday. First playoff berth since 2011. Big deal. I imagine that the Benzie community will travel well. Yeah. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. That conversation brought to you by our sponsors at Jimmy John's. Two locations in Traverse City. Order a tasty sandwich today with the Jimmy John's app. 
A big thank you to Benzie Central's Tom Ross and Joe Wade for joining episode 54 of the Get Around Podcast. It's been football, football, football for the first hour of this show. Or so. Or yeah. so. <laughs> Time to switch gears a little bit, and we did have a couple of state champions, a few rather, uh, over the weekend. Annika D wins her third individual state championship in the wind and the rain and the ice and hail and in snow. A row. <laughs> yeah, in a yeah, row. third in a row after finishing just one stroke back her freshman season. So you're talking about one stroke away from four straight state championships. Just one shot. Just unbelievable stuff from Annika. And then Traverse City St. Francis Tennis, Sean Navin and Brendan Chenard run the table at the state finals in two doubles to bring home an individual state championship and guide the Gladiators to a second-place team finish, the highest in boys' program history. I believe they were 12 points behind Ann Arbor Green Hills, who everybody kind of knew going in they were going to be pretty difficult to beat. Uh, but it was a, a great season, a great finish for St. Francis Tennis. And uh, you know, for those two guys to bring home the individual title in two doubles, was crazy also because we talked about Sean Navin last week. He he made the Get Around Hall of Fame last week for winning a regional title with Chenard as well as becoming the all-time winningest doubles player in Michigan high school history. Did he not become the all-time, all-time winningest yes, player with the Yes, that's what I'm saying. That's what he did at regionals and why he got into the Get Around Hall of Fame with four wins in the bracket at state finals over the weekend, he bumped his career total up to 152 career wins, which makes him the all-time winningest tennis player in Michigan history, regardless of singles, doubles, boys, or girls. Wow. Nobody has ever won as many times as Sean Navin. Owen Wilson. Wow. Great stuff. No, seriously. Incred- that's- I, I asked I asked Coach uh, Paul Bandrowski, I said, so does he get a banner for that too? Because they'll get one for the team and they'll get one for the individual title. I said, does he does he get one for being the all-time winningest player in, in school hi- or in state history? And he said yes. So I would, I would, I would want one. If they, I would if, give him one. If, that's, a, that's a gift worth giving if, right If they there. had numbers, they'd definitely have to retire his number. Right? Yeah. yeah. Have to? I mean, there's at least like a Hall of Fame or like a Ring of Honor or something he's got to go into at some point. I imagine that St. Francis would just make their own banner and hang it up on the oh no, they'll on the, do on that the fences too. at the uh, at the Bandrowski family tennis center that they have out there <laughs> at, at at Seton, and uh, I mean that's literally what's called. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> and uh, you know, because he did a lot of the fundraising and everything for that for that, but you know. They've got other banners up there for their conference champions and regional champions and state finals appearances, all that. So I think that's just yet another thing that they'll be able to boast about. But yeah, but with Andrew Gerling, Elliot Brandowski, you know, coming in the second highest program or highest finish in program history. I know Van Dr- Coach Paul Brandowski was so, so happy with that. You know, something, you know, he's seen some a lot of success with the girls' side, but now he's got the boys' side, especially with having Elliot on the team. I know he was extremely happy to have that happen, you know, this season in particular. Well, and he was even more excited because of how talented Allegan turned out to be of the team that finished third, and I believe with 23 points, uh, because he said, you know, almost any other year they would have been much closer to Green Hills, but Allegan pushed them in every matchup that they had, and, uh, you know, still... St. Francis had four flights playing for a state title. And Sean Navin and Brendan Chenard grabbed the one, and, the, and they did it over, over Ann Arbor Green Hills, so I think that added a little sweetness to it as well. James, 
We joked about the weather, the crappy weekend that we all had for various reasons. <laughs> the weather was bad, but the golf was good. The golf that, was did great. That, did the golf make up for it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't have really, aside from all the layers that she had on, you wouldn't have really known that Annika was playing in bad weather. I mean, she still shot an even par, 72, on a, on a fairly <laughs> tough course. Uh you know, in she won the she best competition. She ended up winning day. the winning the tournament by like five strokes, six, right? I think it was. I think it was six. So she doubled her lead on day two. She was up three on day one. Just went ahead, did the same round, doubled her lead again. Oh. Well, not the same round. She did shoot a sixty-eight on day one, which apparently wasn't that good. Yeah, uh, I don't think we can ask Annika what a good round of golf is any longer. <laughs> I think that's the question that we need to stop asking her: is how good is a good round of golf? There never is one. There exactly. There never is one. Three state championships later, and never had a good round of golf. Yeah, but I mean, you can you can tell all of the you know all the junior tournaments that she's played in, and all the tournaments around the United States, and even yeah. internationally that she's gone to a couple. Um, she was so laid back when she was playing. I mean, you know, she was in the she was in the top grouping, so she was playing with the best the, competition. Yeah, the best competition. There's a couple of the girls that were on her heels and everything, and she was laughing, joking. Congratulating them when they made good shots, and everything. You wouldn't have known that they were the ones that were chasing her. You wouldn't have known that that you know she had this kind of pressure, I guess, on her to 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 threepeat as the state champion. Uh, but I think that's one of those things that I, I know when we talked to her a few weeks ago. She didn't really feel that type of pressure. The only type of pressure that she ever had is the pressure that she put on herself to always be beating herself. You know, so I think that's one of those reasons why you see her act the way she does on the golf course and. You know, when I had the pleasure to see her play at the Michigan Women's Open, even around professional golfers who, you know, are supposed to be much, much higher skill level than her, she still had nothing but, you know, smile from ear to ear, was always asking questions, just knowing exactly what's going on. And even people, asked, she was, what, 17, 16, 17 years old, and yet professionals asking her pointers on the game. You know, we've had very few return guests on the Get Around podcast, and that's okay because I like having new faces in here every week, but I think... Annika may be one that we need to get in here one more time, perhaps when things kind of slow down as the fall season winds to an end, to uh, go over this a little more because, you know, three individual state titles and probably three Miss Golf titles is just incredible. Yeah, and, if, she, uh, if she wins three Miss Golf titles, she'll be the first ever to have the, that honor bestowed three times. And if she doesn't win three in a row, well, then we get to talk about the travesty. Yeah, another travesty. I, I don't know how I don't know how she could walk, not walk away with that after having her best round of her career this year and once again winning another state title, Division One. And in that weather, I mean, it was it was awful. The weather was awful. It was you know by the end of the round, it was forty degrees. James couldn't take notes. The weather was so bad. How did she golf? Yeah, I mean, and I mean the the whole course was just. Like just squishy and waterlogged. You told me there was hail. There was hail hailstones all over the course at one point. Yeah, there was. There was two weather delays. There was one that was at the same time as the Michigan Michigan State game was delayed, um, and that one was like a half hour, forty five minutes or so. And then, uh, and then there was another one a couple hours later because you know they heard thunder in the distance, so they had to call it. And just about the time that all the players got back to the clubhouse, it just hail coming down. You know, just like the size of like you know little beans. A gravel-sized hail? Yeah, and they had to wait like an hour for that because they had to wait for that to melt and for the greens to be playable again. Well, congratulations to Annika, to Sean, to Brendan, to the Gladiators, and to the Titans for their fantastic seasons. 
That state finals recap brought to you by Jimmy John's. Two locations in Traverse City. Freaky Fresh, Freaky Fast, Jimmy John's. Freak yeah. It's that time once again, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for our next enshrinee to be inducted to the Get Around Hall of Fame. We've got eight members so far this fall season. And we don't necessarily have the obvious suspects because Annika D already in. Sean Navin already in. So I think I'm just going to jump the gun here and go first so that I know my candidate wins. And I'm going to put up Brendan Chenard, who helped bring home the state championship in two doubles for Traverse City St. Francis. I don't know if you guys can top a state championship with your candidates. You can try, but I think I know how this one's going to go already. Sorry, not sorry. Hashtag blessed, as Brendan likes to say. Brendan Chenard, congratulations. James, who you got? <laughs> All right. I'm going to go with Ethan Pike. I mean, he's got a strong resume as well. I mean, set the school record for shutouts in a season at a at an elite soccer program. And, I mean, he's just been lights out all season. And, you know, it's led that defense. You know, they got good, they have good players in front of him. But, you know, you have to have that last guy, that guy, your last piece of defense. And he really is rock solid back there for them. Um, you know, Nate Plum was just just going on and on about how, <clears throat> how even in games where he only has, like, two saves – he still makes a huge difference in those games because the team is so confident in his footwork that they will play the ball back to him 20 times and you know so that they can reset and and you know reform their attack again and uh, you know and a lot of goalies you can't do that with you know so he's had just an outstanding season this year yeah, and I, I hate to do this to him in su- with such a, a strong pitch by James there. So I'm just going to have to hope that he puts up another strong game in regional play so he can get put up again. Uh, Jay- he acts like this is over and done with. It's he over. forgets that there's two people on this side of the it's, table. It's over. We can co-blund you. Yeah. <laughs> Not against yeah. a state championship, you can't. Uh, yeah. All right. I do. Well, I, I, I got a feeling that this, uh, even if he doesn't win, this is one of those... Uh, People will probably go back and do a retroactive Hall of Fame on uh, Skylar Spangler from Central Lake. They finished their season. He's not going to be coming up anymore, but yet another incredible game on the ground. They beat Pelston 40-20 to uh, last Friday, but he had 22 carries for 320 rushing yards with five scores on the ground. He also added an interception on defense. I mean, that's once again like 15 yards per carry. I know Central Lake hasn't been able to do this every game, but... He even outshined, you know, another Hall of Fame uh, inductee in Grand Papineau by over triple on the same amount of carries. So Skyler Spangler, definitely, definitely a worthy candidate. I think he's been up before, but you know, it's kind of tough in week number nine of of the football season. Well, these guys know it, I know it, and today is simply not going to come down to a vote. Congratulations to Traverse City St. Francis's Brendan Chenard, the other half of the tremendous tennis duo at two doubles along with his teammate Sean Navin who was inducted into the Get Around Hall of Fame last week. Brendan, you are being inducted this week. Congratulations on your state championship and your inclusion into the most exclusive club in northern Michigan. I know everybody's going to greatly miss the trifecta, the mainstay of this program for 53 episodes. I promise we'll come back to it in episode 55. But this is such an incredibly long episode already that we're going to forego the trifecta this week. And we're just going to sign off right now. 
it's it's justified. Maybe I'll play. We got enough other quality content. Maybe I'll play a little sad music with this bit and sad trombone. Yeah, maybe. And uh, you know, it's it's only gone for now. It's not gone for good. Good things always return. It'll be back. That's what they say anyway. It'll be back. It'll be back. So this has been episode fifty-four of the Get Around Podcast. We thank you so much for joining. Remember, share, retweet, like uh, for a chance to win two Jimmy John sandwiches. And uh, we appreciate you tuning in. Have a good one.